Well, we are going to uh, go back to Breshit, not to the Torah portion, but to chapter 17. We're working our way through Breshit. This afternoon, uh, Peter will be leading the Torah study uh, in, um, you know, uh, on this week's Torah portion this afternoon. But uh, here in chapter 17, this is uh, where we left off. Okay, uh, and so uh, what we learn here is that back in uh, back in in uh, chapter sixteen, okay, uh, Abraham was eighty six years old when uh, Ishmael was born. Okay, notice it says at the very last verse of chapter sixteen, and Abram was eighty six years old when and Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, last week, we talked all about, uh, all about Hagar and uh, God's uh, attitude toward Hagar, right? And uh, very, very important. Uh, but now, here, uh, we're back on track here with how God is interacting with Abraham and bringing to pass the promise of a son and covenant. So now, in verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, now, when uh, Avram, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and, uh, and spoke to him. So, 13 years have gone by, right? It seems like it was just last week, right? But uh, 13 years uh, have gone by. So, that's important uh, to remember that uh, uh, Ishmael is a young man. Uh, and uh, Hagar is in the house, and, uh, and things are probably kind of chaotic uh, in the house. We'll learn that in a few chapters to come. But remember that 13 years have passed, uh, and now God is speaking to uh, uh, Avram again. All right. So he says, I am God Almighty. Okay, so we're going to stop there for a second where he says, uh, I am God Almighty. You know, in our Exodus uh, MSI class, in the first part of it, I, uh, we were uh, dealing with the, the part where uh, God speaks to Moses and he says, you know, uh, they knew me as God Almighty, but now you will know me as Lord. So something very interesting uh, about that that uh, you're familiar with the word um, uh, God Almighty. Uh, it's kind of a famous uh, name uh, of God in Hebrew, right? El Shaddai, right? Uh, Amy Grant didn't invent that, just so you know. Okay, that goes back a few years. But uh, anyway, uh, it's interesting where you read El Shaddai in the Bible. I don't know if you're aware of it, but... There are two places, two books of the Bible where you read about uh, uh, El Shaddai the most. There's a couple of stray spots here and there, but two books where you read about it the most. Genesis and Job. Isn't that interesting? Genesis and Job. What's interesting about Job is it's mostly poetry. It's in the context of, of poetry. Okay? In Breshit, God says, I am El Shaddai more often than anywhere else. Now, what's also interesting is we know that he's called Lord all over the place, yud heh vav -Hey, you know, Adonai, the unpronounceable name and all that. He's called that all over the place in Genesis. 
But it's only in a few places where it is in the mouth of God where he says, I am Lord. Only a few places. When you compare uh, that passage in uh, uh, the sixth chapter of uh, Exodus, you see that after that point, you read out of the mouth of God, I am Lord, lots of times, but relatively speaking, very few times in Breshit. But he's called, but he says, I am God Almighty a number of times when he speaks to the patriarchs. So it's kind of interesting, right? I, and so here he says, I am God Almighty. And I, now I, I'm going to say something else. Oh, and I wish I could just keep going, but I can't help myself. And that is, Shaddai is a very interesting word. You know, nobody really knows exactly what it means. We assume Almighty because that's what we have in our English translations. But Shad in Hebrew is breast. And almost all the time, almost all the, I always like to say almost, or, you know, it's never completely because there's always an exception somewhere. There's always another example. But almost all the time, it's said to the patriarchs in relationship of being the, uh, the you know, the father of being fruitful and multiply being the father of many nations, or that many people will come forth from you. So it is interesting that it seems like it's related to the promise of fertility somehow. But anyway, I, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Okay. So here God is saying, this is kind of like chapter 12 a little bit, where uh, God is going to make a big promise to uh, Abraham, but, but Abraham has to follow God, you know? He has to leave his lechacha. He has to leave everything behind and follow God. Here, God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That phrase, walk before me, uh, was a common phrase in the ancient world uh, of showing one's um, uh, honor toward a king of uh, obedience uh, toward the king, walk before me, okay? Obviously in obedience, and then, of, of course, uh, you know, in a way he repeats it a little bit by saying, and be blameless. So God is making a covenant with, it, with Abraham here, uh, but Abraham has some responsibility in it, okay? And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, uh, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called uh, uh, Av Avram, or Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Okay? Uh, for I will make you the father of a, of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession 
I will be their God. Okay, so what's interesting here is, remember what we said back in chapter 12 and chapter 15, that you don't read the word covenant or brit in chapter 12, that God is verbally making a promise to Abraham, making a promise of a land, he'll be a great nation. We've we've read these things before. He'll be a great nation and he'll have this land. Then in chapter 15, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, if you go back there, uh, uh, Abraham is concerned, right? He doesn't have an heir. He's getting older and Sarah is barren and and he doesn't have an heir. Uh, And so God says, uh, to him, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you, your reward will be great. And so Abram responds by saying, O Lord God, what will thou give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of, of Damascus? In those days that if, you're, if you were childless, perhaps uh, there were different avenues. We've talked about that. You can listen to it. Uh, one would be uh, someone who, who lives in your house, Another one would be what we might say like a surrogate, uh, using modern terminology, uh, would be the, you know, would produce uh, the, uh, the heir. And, uh, and so uh, here, uh, uh, God tells him the same thing. However, remember what we said in chapter 15, that, well, God made the promise, but Abraham needed like proof of the promise. So God condescended to human institution and made, in those days, what we would call a treaty with Abraham, like a physical promise, like signing on the dotted line, you know? And that is what a, a covenant uh, is. A covenant is like a, uh, a contract, uh, like a, a, a treaty. So God uh, did that for, for Abraham. Now, in chapter 17... We could say that he intensifies this. He tells him once again that he is going to be the father of many nations and the kings are going to come forth from him. But now he uses the word covenant a whole bunch of times in this chapter. Uh, He repeats it over and over and over again in chapter 17. That I'm making this covenant with you. I'm making this covenant with you. But he also says I'm establishing this covenant. That's something he doesn't say in chapter 15. I'm establishing, I'm going to make it firm. In other words, I'm giving you more proof, Abraham, that this is, uh, that this is uh, going to happen. But this time around, I, a God, he intensifies the promise. And so first we see it here in verse 2. I will establish my covenant between me and you. Okay? Uh, and notice God is saying that he's going to do this. I will establish this covenant. Then he says, and I will multiply you exceedingly. It's very interesting. I will multiply you exceedingly. God is saying, I am taking responsibility for this promise that I made, and I am now going to enter into another covenant with you to make it sure okay, for you. Uh, and, it's, uh, and I will indeed do it. Now, notice Abram's response here. In chapter 15, he questions God after God uh, speaks to him. Here he falls on his face. He falls on his face and worships God. So, you know, we could say, just by observation, we could say, 
what we're seeing is the maturation of, of Abraham. We're seeing the growth of Abraham, that God speaks to him here, and he doesn't question God. He doesn't say, well, how, am I, how will I know? Or who will my child be? He falls on his face in worship and, uh, and in trust. Okay. Then we read in verse 4, uh, As for me, God says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And now he says again, you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. But now he's going to do something else. He changes his name, changes his name to memorialize his destiny. As we said, as I said earlier, to memorialize, just like Jacob and Israel, Jacob being called Israel, okay? To memorialize his destiny. His, this is how you will be known. This is who you are, okay? Now, oftentimes, I, I, you know, when we read commentary on this, we, uh, we would say, well, the meaning of the name, the meaning of his name uh, changed, right? Exalted father to father of a multitude. The problem is, is that the name Abraham doesn't exactly mean the father of a multitude of nations. I, that's what it symbolizes. It's what it signifies. Basically, what's happening is a hay gets added to his name. His name elongates, okay? Now, it could be a play on words because in the previous verse, when it says, you will be a multitude of nations, that kind of sounds like Avraham a little bit, uh, but not exactly. So we don't know. Uh, but it certainly signifies that he is going to be a father of a multitude of nations. Uh, now, this is interesting, not only in the life of Abraham, but also it has ramifications on the whole world. How is that? Because when it's a multitude of goyim, you will be the father of a multitude of nations, not just lots of Israelites here. And so th this is very interesting. This speaks to the fact not only of his physical descendants, like uh, Ishmaelites and all the ites that come from his children via Keturah and all of that, but it certainly uh, is echoed in the Brit Hadashah in the New Covenant when uh, uh, Abraham has a multitude of children by faith. Not Israelites, not children of the promise, but a multitude of nations. So it's kind of interesting. Then he says, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will, again, make goyim of you, make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. So this speaks so much of the entire future of, of Abraham's life. For example, do you know almost, I will say, the vast majority of religious people in the world claim Abraham as their father. Every Jew, Christian, and Muslim, I mean, he's more popular than Yeshua by far, right? Probably the most popular person that ever lived is Abraham. Every Jew, every Christian, and every Muslim claim Abraham, right? And we know that many of the Middle Eastern peoples ultimately come from Abraham, not children of the promise, not children of the covenant, but multitudes of people. And then, of course, by faith, many people become related to, uh, to Abraham, right? Okay, so what a fantastic 
uh, promise. And then it says, and kings shall come forth from you. And we know, of course, that uh, later on, yes, indeed, uh, king, uh, the kings of Israel all are descended from uh, Abraham. So what a fantastic promise. And then God says again, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants, your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. So it is interesting that he uses the word seed here or descendants in the particularization of Israel, but father of a multitude of nations. But the seed, okay, he says here, throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed after you. All right? So very interestingly, he uses uh, the word everlasting here three times in this chapter. Okay? He uses the word establish the covenant a few times. It's an everlasting covenant. So he is intensifying this promise uh, to uh, Abraham. All right? Now, uh, and then he says, and I will give you the land. And it's always, they always go together. The progeny and the land, the descendants and the land. And so God is, again, reiterating this to, uh, to Abraham. All right. Now he says, God said further to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so here we have... Basically, the first, uh, the first commandment uh, of, uh, the, uh, of the Torah, long before there was a Torah, right? And that is what's called the covenant of circumcision. So he says, this is my covenant, meaning that the, the idea of the covenant and the sign of circumcision go hand in hand. Now what is happening is God not only is, is intensifying this promise by his words like everlasting, you know, and, uh, and establishing, but now he's saying to Abraham, I am going to place a mark. I want there to be a mark on your body that is permanent, uh, you know, and that forever marks you as uh, uh, children of a promise. So now he's saying, I'm, I'm going, I, 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 uh, in chapter 15, Abraham was passive. 
right? And God passed through the cut animals. Now in chapter 17, Abraham and his children forever, according to promise through Isaac, as the text will indeed tell us, I will have this mark forever. And here we are thousands of years uh, later still having it. Well, some some uh, information here about the, the idea of circumcision and what's going on here. First of all, this was not the inception of circumcision. This was not the invention of it. It's not like no one was ever circumcised until, until Abraham. That's not the case. Many of the uh, cultures in the Middle East uh, engaged in circumcision. Some didn't. I, I believe that uh, the Phoenicians didn't, the Philistines uh, didn't, the Babylonians did it, didn't, and, uh, and some other peoples, but others did, okay? But what's interesting is it was done either at puberty or before marriage, kind of like, by the way, in the Torah portion uh, today, okay? But what is new and unique, there's two things that are new and unique. One is eight days old as a baby. That, that was unique. Uh, and also, the reason behind it, it wasn't uh, for social purposes. It wasn't for uh, communal purposes. It had to do with the covenant that came from God. So this was new. So just like a number of different things that we read about in the Bible... You have this practice going on, but God gives it a particular meaning for Israel. A particular meaning for Israel. And so it is, becomes a sign of, uh, of, the, uh, of the covenant. Not necessarily a sign of one's spirituality, but a sign, a physical sign of being Israel, of being uh, uh, of the covenant people. Okay? I, I, and, of course, I, it is also a, uh, a reminder uh, that the being fruitful and multiplying ultimately comes from God. It's not a promise that, uh, of, uh, that every, uh, every male uh, who is circumcised automatically is going to be fruitful, right, and have lots of children. That's not what it means, but a reminder of the promise given to Israel of, 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 you know, multi, of a multitude like sand on the sea or the stars in the sky uh, comes, from, uh, comes from God. Now, you know, this continues to, to this very day. Obviously, we know that. Do you know that uh, um, when a child, when a baby boy is eight days old, I know that there's, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, it's a perfect day medically, Right? Uh, for that to take place. But what's interesting also is, is unlike just about any other Jewish rite of passage or custom, whether it's Shabbat, if it's a holiday, no matter what day it is, you have the bris on the eighth day. And, uh, uh, and again, it is a sign of uh, being part of Israel. So that's why uh, when we have a when we do a bris here, a Jewish baby has a bris. How do you define a Jewish baby? Jewish parents or a Jewish parent, right? Is a Jewish baby. However, isn't it interesting here that it says 
others who are in the household also are circumcised. And at the end of the chapter, we're going to see that Ishmael is circumcised. So what's going on? How, how can you have it both ways? It is, a, is it a sign of the covenant or is it not a sign of the covenant? Now, this is very interesting, I think, and very helpful for us. This kind of serves, I think, for us as a proof text of sorts of the way that we do certain things here at Beth Messiah. When a servant in the house who is not an Israelite gets circumcised, or when Ishmael is circumcised, yes, he's circumcised, but it is not Brit Milah. It is Milah, but it is not Brit Milah. They're not entering into the covenant. Ishmael is not, but by Ishmael getting circumcised, he's not entering into the covenant promise. The, uh, the uh, slaves or others who are, who are traveling or part of the household of Israel who are circumcised are not part of the promise, but they're part of the family. So there's a level of identification, but not children of the promise. Okay? So, you know, here at Beth Messiah, we would say that, uh, you know, when you're a Jewish Messiah follower, when you're a Jewish uh, uh, believer, uh, you are part of the remnant of, of Israel. You don't stop being Israel. We don't stop being Jews. We're still very, in fact, when we come to faith in the Messiah, it helps us to understand our, our calling as, as Jewish people to be a light to the nations. And by the pouring out of the Ruach, the promise that the prophets made, that we're empowered to live a Torah way of life. But we know that uh, Yeshua is not the Messiah of Israel alone, but of the nations. And of course, the vast majority of people who are not Jewish that uh, embrace Yeshua don't live Jewishly, are not part of a messianic congregation, and are and are fine and dandy, uh, 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 obeying God, uh, you know, really the ethics and morals of the Torah and uh, being obedient to his word and so on. Uh, we like to say that the, the model, the best model is like the king or queen of England, right? That, uh, you know, if you live in Canada, you're not British, you're not English, right? But uh, the queen is still your queen. I think that's still true, right? Uh, and, uh, and in Australia uh, as well, right? So in the same way, when people who are not Jewish come to faith in Yeshua, Yeshua is the king. He's the king of everybody who believes. But we may not be Jewish, right? The commonwealth of Israel, in other words. So people become related to Israel, but they don't become Israel, see? So when you're part of a Messianic congregation, that is very much intensified, and there is a physical uh, demonstration of that, of being part of the atmosphere and culture of Israel. So uh, a while back, we decided that, uh, well, you know, uh, all kids at Beth Messiah have the opportunity to come up at age 13 before the Torah, but we, we came to understand that had a different meaning for Jewish people than it had for those who are not Jewish. It's just a different meaning. It just is. <laughs> uh, and so, while our kids all train the same way and do the same things, we have for the kids who are not Jewish, we call it a bar or bat Avraham. Bar or bat Avraham. And we accentuate the fact 
that this young man, this young woman, while not Jewish, has aligned oneself with the Jewish people. It has a different meaning. And so, when it comes to the circumcision, it is true as well. When we have a Jewish uh, family, we have the, the local Moel does it, and uh, oftentimes then he'll leave and then then uh, and then we uh, do the traditional uh, the, do the traditional prayers uh, because he's not so uh, not so comfortable with a messianic setting, but kind enough to do to do it as a mo- as a moil would. And we have a traditional basic circumcision when it's when a child when a couple have a child uh, and they have a baby boy. I we have a similar kind of ceremony, but it's a little different. Because the child is not entering into the covenant like, like we're reading here in chapter 17. But becomes through his family identified with Israel, with the Jewish people. And so I think it's kind of interesting here that you have right in the text, you have uh, people are engaging in the, um, in the custom, but it has a different meaning for them. I think that's kind of interesting. All right? Uh, all right. Very good. And, and so, uh, the mark in the flesh uh, uh, that, is forever, uh, that is forever there. You know, there's even more we could say that when, when uh, you know, the, the bris uh, in Jewish tradition is so important, it is, it, is, it is as important as like a bar mitzvah and as important as a wedding. I, and it's, you know, it's very interesting if you've ever been to a, a bris. I mean, it's a great celebration. You know, it's a great celebration. I, now, if you're not uh, Jewish, you might say, how barbaric is this? Right? Uh, but it, it, isn't it amazing that for 5,000 years, we have engaged in this custom, we have engaged in this tradition, we have engaged with the same understanding even though so many of our people just do it because it's what you're supposed to do, uh, but still having this sense of a called out, uh, a, a called out people. Now, what does this uh, uh, mean to us in terms, though, of uh, spiritual identity, spiritual identification? Well, we might be surprised uh, to learn that uh, even in the uh, Torah, even in the Torah, we read about uh, a circumcision of the heart, not simply in the uh, Brit Hadashah. But if you turn to, uh, for example, Deuteronomy, Devarim, in chapter 10, in verse uh, 16, it says there, circumcise then your heart. Circumcise your heart. It's right there in the Torah. This is not something that develops thousands of years later or gets uh, hijacked, you know, and given some kind of uh, meaning that it was never intended to have. Very interesting. Circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no more. Okay? So when he says circumcise your heart and he says stiffen your neck no more, he means... Be the people that I've called you to be, not only outwardly, but in your heart. You know, it would be something akin to saying um, like this. 
I, let's take uh, I, our, our being a patriot, okay, being, uh, being uh, someone who, uh, I'm, I'm born in the United States, I'm an American, right? And I have citizenship, obviously, and I might even have a passport, you know, I, I might have an, uh, uh, all kinds of outward signs of, of being an American. But someone might say, well, if you're really an American, X, Y, and Z, right? If you're really this, you're, gonna be, you're, you're going to uh, um, do this. Or let's say you are a sports fan and you wear the clothes of your favorite team outwardly, you know? Uh, uh, but then uh, they don't do so well and uh, you don't pay attention to them you don't pay attention anymore. And so someone might say, if you're really a fan, you know, you'll be there no matter what. In other words, what you're really saying is if, if, if it's true inside of you as well as outside of you, if it's, if, it's, if it's what you're really made of, that's what you'll be. And that is all the way back in the Torah, the, the circumcision of the flesh is not done away with, obviously. It's not done away with, but it is used as a metaphor of being true in your heart to God. Not just having an outward sign of the covenant, but the inward sign of the covenant as a, as a metaphor. And it refers to repenting, turning to God, you know, all of that, right? We see it again in uh, the 30th chapter of uh, Deuteronomy, speaking of the future, when from the four corners of the earth, Israel will return to the land, you know. Look what it says in verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. So, of course, he's lifting up, lifting out the Shema there and saying, you will really live this way in that day. And look what God says, I will do it. I will circumcise your heart. He doesn't just say to them, circumcise your heart. He says, I will circumcise your heart. Okay, it's a promise that, that God makes. Then later on, we're not going to take the time, but uh, later on, uh, we read uh, in Jeremiah, the same kinds of things. You know, have a circumcised heart uh, for, uh, for the Lord. Uh, and so it's very interesting that when the Messiah comes, uh, the terminology, some of the terminology for the new covenant is having a, a circumcised heart. It's not being made up. It's not being changed. It's, it's simply saying that what God had promised in the Torah and the Tanakh has begun to happen. See? And so uh, how, uh, how important uh, is that? You know, there's one place, for example, in Colossians chapter 2. For in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over uh, all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Messiah. So he's not just take, lifting up things out of the Torah and reinventing something. He's saying this is, a this is the beginning of the fulfillment of a promise. And so, you know, as Jewish believers... In Yeshua, there is the physical circumcision, the Brit Milah, and the Brit Milah inward when we know Messiah. 
And so you see, it's not good enough just to have the Brit Milah in the flesh, but we need it in the heart uh, indeed as well. To turn to God, to be able to live for Him, not just outwardly. The outward is important. It's never done away with, and it's still important. But God has always desired, as we see from the Torah, He's always desired a heart for Him. And that's what it means. I'm going to turn to another passage in the New Covenant, in the book of Romans in the second chapter. Okay. You know, when you're, whenever you're reading the Bible, you always want to ask yourself, who is he talking to? Who's the audience? Because the audience is very helpful in determining what's uh, going on. So in verse 17 of chapter 2, verse 17 of chapter 2 of Romans, let's see who he's talking to in the rest of the verses of the chapter. Says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God. So he's talking to Jewish, he's referring to Jewish people. Okay? So if you go down to verse 28, well, here, verse 27. And will not he who is physically circum- uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. His point there is, this is one of the most lifted out of context passages in the New Covenant. He's talking to Jewish people and he's saying, if you're Jewish... If you're really Jewish, you're going to have a circumcised heart, not just in the flesh. You're you're going to have a circumcised heart. And how does that circumcised heart come, by the way? By the Spirit. And so we know that when we receive Messiah into our lives, the Ruach comes to dwell within us. The promise of the fathers, the promise of the prophets, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, as we read about in the book of Joel, for example, the prophet Joel and elsewhere, comes and indwells us. And the process of that transaction that takes place circumcises our hearts to God, you see? And so this is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise that we read about that, that was desired in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and looked forward to in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It is the beginning of the end, we might say. The beginning of the Olam Haba. That's why we like to say about ourselves here at Beth Messiah, uh, our desire is to experience Israel's future today. Israel's future today. The beginning of the Olam Haba, through the resurrection of the Messiah and the pouring out of the Ruach, we end up with the circumcised heart. Okay. Now, when we go back now to... Genesis chapter 16 or 17, we see that God has now entered into this everlasting covenant with Abraham, but now it's going to still be this issue of whose son or what son is going to be the son of the promise. Okay, so uh, he gives him the covenant of circumcision, the outward sign of uh, God's covenant relationship. All right. And so I'm just going to reiterate one more time this idea that all of Israel, all of the Jewish people are in the covenant relationship, but not all 
have the circumcised heart. That's very important, okay? But not all have this. We want all of our people to have the circumcised heart. That's why we, that's why we tell people about Yeshua. That's why we want our people to believe. So they'll have the circumcised heart. So they can really uh, have a greater intimacy even than what people may have uh, through the keeping of uh, traditions only. But this transaction that comes from God. And that's where peace comes from. That is where comfort comes from. That is where loving kindness comes from. That is where forgiveness comes from. Uh, that is where patience and, uh, comes from. And all those kinds of things. What a great promise that is to all who believe. All right? So now uh, he's not done. And we'll just say a few more words here. Uh, but no, maybe we won't. Okay, well, I think we're going to stop here. We'll deal with Sarah next week. Okay? But Sarah gets big play here. I'm just going to say that right now. Sarah ends up at the end of this chapter with the same status as Abraham. She's not like below Abraham. The same status as Abraham. Very important. It's a very important truth. And, and that could come under the heading of how God deals with women uh, in the Torah. It's very interesting that Sarah, who gave him Hagar and all that, she is not uh, by any way, shape, or form demeaned, punished, uh, viewed downward. Her name gets changed too because she has a destiny of her own. She's going to be the mother of kings and the mother of a multitude of nations. And most importantly, the mother of Isaac, the child of promise. Okay? Uh, and so I think we're going to stop here. And uh, I just want us to be challenged to think about this fact of belonging to God and, and having a circumcised heart. You know, the idea of the circumcised heart is for everyone. Obviously, uh, here we, we have a question that we may have is, it's, uh, you know, it's only men that's being discussed here. Uh, the circumcision, of course. Uh, and that is uh, the, uh, the custom, the tradition of males and therefore you know, their, their families and so on. But, you know, God uh, is concerned about each and every one of us. And that is why the most important thing is the circumcision of the heart. And the last time I checked, uh, uh, anatomically, anatomically, everybody has a heart. Everybody has a heart. And everybody needs a changed heart. Every human being needs a change. doesn't matter how wonderful you are, how philanthropic you are, uh, what a mensch you are, what a great woman you are, uh, what a hero you are. Every single person needs a changed heart. And so God is not a respecter of persons. Yes, according to the peoplehood of Israel, yes, males are circumcised. But in order to really relate to God and to have an experience with God, to have that transaction with God, every single one of us can, ha can have that as we embrace the promised Messiah, the Messiah of Israel. You know, from the time of the Torah to the prophets, all the way to the New Covenant, there was always a looking forward. That's why in Deuteronomy 30, he says, the day is going to come when you'll have a circumstance, when God will give it to you, because he knew that it, we couldn't do it on our own. 
And so when Yeshua the Messiah came, he gave us now this opportunity to have the circumcised heart. And, you know, uh, it, it's unusual language, you know, to use that, that, that type of language, obviously. But a changed heart, a heart for a God. And so uh, may that be true for all of us. And uh, for those of us that, that know the Lord here today, that have a relationship with God, it's an ongoing thing, you know, to live that way. Uh, and to not fall into a rut of having a tradition, but no spirituality. God desires the heart. That's why in the Shema it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with every bit of you. Right? Uh, and so how wonderful it is that God has sent the Messiah. And so may we be thankful uh, uh, as we hear this message. May we be thankful that God has indeed done that and that his word is true and that everlasting covenant still is in effect today, right? And may, uh, may we all, whether we're Jewish or we're not Jewish, may we all avail ourselves of a circumcised heart in Messiah Yeshua. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for our uh, message here today of how you uh, made this so clear to Abraham that you even gave him a new name by memorializing his destiny, by making his destiny sure. And Lord, thank you that we read in the book of Revelation that in you we shall all have a new name, as it were, uh, uh, a destiny in you, Lord. Uh, God, we thank you, God, for uh, your faithfulness to us as a people for thousands of years, not doing away with us through thick and thin, through rough times. Thank you that there is a Eretz Yisrael today. There is a Jewish people today. But thank you also that the sign of the new covenant is the Ruach within. And so God, may, may it be true for us. And Lord, we do pray for our people, Lord, to, to know uh, the Ruach, to embrace Yeshua, Lord, and recognize that he is indeed uh, the Messiah of Israel. We pray in Yeshua's name.